It is absolutely wondrous and amazing to know the God of creation. We know that. And yet some days I kind of understand why humanity at large chooses to not know. <laughs> not know anything. That's what humanity does, isn't it? <laughs> humanity has elected to close their eyes, close their knowing, focus on the small picture, and just carry on. And sometimes I understand that. The reality that we live in is that we, most of us come to the baptism waters and we, as much as we prepare people, we keep finding out as time passes and we walk the road, we keep finding out how little we understood of laying down your life, dying to self. I'm sure many of us wished we could do it again, just knowing what we know now. <laughs> And yet, I think if most of us, if I could do it again knowing what I know now, I understand a million times more of what was actually happening and what is asked of us and given to us. The given to us is so much more than what's asked from us. And yet, I think even if we get, could get baptized again, we still would feel the same way again in five years time. We go like, I shouldn't have rushed it. I, <laughs> and yet that's not how the Lord works. He says, add to your faith virtue. Before you know much about God, the process starts from His side. And He just starts giving us, out of grace, out of eternity, what is ours in His will, what He has prepared for us. And we walk the road, and some days we do well. And in some days, it's like I just crash into myself. How the heck do we do that? It's, yeah, it's our walk, our, our walk of righteousness. One moment we can be strong, confident, courageous, full of virtue, full of the knowledge of the Lord. And uh, the next moment, full of our foolishness, full of ourselves. And so I wanted, before we started with the teaching, I wanted to just commend all of you. Um, it's good. It's good that we're always repenting. Always maintain an attitude of repenting. But um, don't let that voice tell you just because we didn't do that well yesterday. Don't let the voice tell you that you're not doing well. We are still on the road. We are still here. So I think we share something. We don't even have to talk to each other. We share something. We share that place somewhere in our consciousness where we tend to f 
feel like we're terrible at being children of God. Okay? Am I just the only one this morning? So luckily Paul wrote, we have nothing to boast about. Well, that's an understatement. (laughs) We have nothing to boast about. And yet, we have nothing to complain about either. We could. We could find things to complain about. But just bring that thing and put it down next to the God that we know. And the life that He has prepared for us. We are discovering our lives. In Him. And yet at the same time as we're gaining our lives, we're laying down our lives. Why? Why are we willing to go through all of this change through allowing Him to go deeper and deeper, layer after layer? Now, someone said we're not onions, and I agree with that. We're not onions. (laughs) Well, the deeper we peel, the more the tears come, so there's something there. Why do we do that? Why do we, why do we persevere when everything that we have been given from God, we were given in the beginning? That's why the Bible says that the gospel is foolishness to the world. See, I'm going to heaven. I can actually stop because salvation is a free gift. I can stop. Stop trying. It all depends on our perspective, I suppose, because I can see all the change, all the undoing, all the repentance. I can see it as suffering. I can see it as sacrifice. I can see it as Loss. Depends on your perspective. And don't make the mistake to think I always maintain a positive, faithful perspective on things. It takes the Holy Spirit reminding me, just like it's it's the same for all of us. He reminds us, goes like, remember the perspective that He gave you. Remember that call we spoke about? Mm-hmm. That's when He changed our perspective. So we start looking at life, at our lives, at our world, at our walk. We start looking at it from His perspective. So, this is why we are doing this. I can either get old, or I can become godly. 
Getting old is easy. <laughs> you just let it go. Okay, so how, how hard, Leon, how hard have you been working at getting old? I mean, he's not old. <laughs> how dare he assume? <laughs> he's not old because he hasn't been working at it. Exactly. More effort. More effort, Leon. And yet this PDA equation, and we're still there, it's actually, the more we look at it, the, the, the more it looks like it's really asking a lot of us. Because we have to now get to a point of godliness. I'm hoping that we had a slow enough build-up so that you all had opportunity to start considering what do we think godliness is? Can you try? With all the gifts that you have and all the anointing, the abilities that He's given you and all the grace, can you try and help us see what godliness looks like, please? Can I raise? Yeah. I'm going to take this way. We have a picture. So we've been looking at the process and we've all grown in our understanding, we all understand, we all know that this is, even though we add one thing to another, this is also a reflection of our growth. So even though I add virtue to faith and knowledge to virtue, as I add I also grow in virtue and I grow in knowledge. and. Um, I think we all understand that as we grow, as we move, uh, we grow towards. So it's not just that I've grown in virtue, I'm growing towards knowledge. If I grow in knowledge, I'm not just growing in knowledge, I'm growing towards self-control. And so it's a, a process, self-feeding process. And uh, since we've been putting, or we have been putting a lot of focus on self-control, perseverance, I know for the last few weeks we've been looking at this, but we all understand that we are. As a, as a body, as a unit, we are in a season of perseverance. So even though we are growing in perseverance, this also means we're growing towards godliness. So we always have a vision of where we're on our way to. Why do we implement perseverance? Not just so we can learn to persevere, but so we can be ready to grow in godliness. And... Um, <clears throat> As we were preparing this week, I realized, we realized, we've never actually done a teaching on godliness as a subject, as a topic. Uh, it's been implied, it's been part of teachings, all of that, but we've never actually done a teaching on godliness as on its own. Um, and I mean, we've grown immensely in the knowledge of God, not just knowing about God, but knowing what He knows, and um, we've labored 
truths we've given ourselves to to learning the word not just for what it says but eternally and within that I'm sure that we've all come to a place where we understand that there's an aspect of godliness where we understand that he needs to be formed in us and that we need to be conformed to him because obviously he is God and if we're going to be godly then we have to be like him and that's true it's a hundred percent true but if we are going to truly grow towards godliness and prepare ourselves in godliness and i'm not saying that in the process we've we've grown we've not yet reached that because we do understand that we move through this in cycles and so each of us have gone through seasons in our life where we've added godliness and grown in godliness but if we truly want to to grow and understand then we're going to have to just broaden our understanding of godliness a little bit um okay so Godliness has two extreme aspects to it and then a middle ground, if you want to call it that. So it's funny, I just erased from then, I'm going to draw it again. Okay. Now the part of godliness that we are all um, familiar with is this part which is now blank but I'm going to write in it it's walking in the spirit okay now we all understand if we want to be godly if we want to be like him God is spirit and has no form and we understand that he is eternal so if we want to be like him, this is going to take from us walking in the spirit. And there's a lot to this, we understand. We'll look at that some more. But then, the part that we know, but maybe don't, put, don't think forms such a big part of godliness as a truth. Because, because our perspective of God is that he is eternal. He's on that side of the, the dividing line. And so our idea of godliness is a super spiritual one most of the times. But there's an aspect to godliness that we underestimate. And if we leave it out, it's not going to be godliness. And we'll explain why. And this is um, adding works to faith. Or reverence, if you will. Reverence. Let's just paint the picture for this yes. reverence. We all know the picture. It is the picture we grow up with when we think of a good Christian. I was always amazed. People would come to me and say, there was a time when I was a good Christian. Have you ever heard someone say that? It's amazing. I was walking the walk. Yeah. Or people would, refer, people would love to refer to their grandmother. <laughs> as that person because it's the image we have mm. <coughs> my image if I had to think of what I would saw as a devoted dedicated good believer would be the typical Portuguese lady only dresses in black <laughs> and she goes to church every morning lights a candle and uh, she rebukes all the children and grandchildren all the time for not being godly 
Isn't it? That's the picture. And it's not wrong. Now, that's where we want to bring that. Because this, we can lean, as charismatics, we can lean very heavily over to this side, walking in the Spirit. But this is necessary and has to be established. So we're going to incorporate land lighting candles into our daily lives now. <laughs> no. <laughs> we need someone to sponsor candles, please. <laughs> okay. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the aspects of godliness. Because we can't just think of godliness as something super spiritual. It has a very practical side to it. It's called reverence. We'll look at it now. Continue. Actually, I think we're going to continue here and then mm. we can put the dude together. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, maybe you should put the other thing on there so it's on there. We can keep it in, in place. This thing. Yeah. That thing, the T. <laughs> the thing. <laughs> Whenever we study the Word, whenever we're busy with the things of God, we keep the dividing line in mind. It's, it's vital to our understanding. So we understand that we live on earth in the material world. No, don't let the song come into your head. Don't. Okay. So we live in the material world. Okay. And yet God is spirit and there's a kingdom that is the spirit, spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God. And we are living a life of dealing with both. Both are real to us. Both worlds impact our lives. Okay. So last week, just to recap last week, we looked at, uh, we ended off building up to godliness. Uh, we looked at what did God do? God that is spirit created matter. I love the connection between our thinking of everything that matters to us, matters in our lives, and the actual reality of that he created matter. We looked at the, the creation reality. The creation reality is that this space here that we call air is still part of the created world. It's matter. There's molecules moving around all around us. So no part, no part of the created material world, the creation. So we understand that when we talk about creation, we're talking about everything that is, that was created by God outside of the spiritual kingdom realm. So the universe and everything else is the created world. And this is, according to the Bible, the Word of God, this is the part of, cre of a reality that is going to cease to exist. Look, if God wanted to emphasize to us, uh, if He wanted to underscore our understanding of things, this is a big, big long-term plan. So the word says in Hebrews, out of nothing, he created and framed everything that is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is 
in all aspects focused on that which is not the material world. Creation. Okay, so we called to understand very complicated things and then live accordingly. No wonder that religion will tend to, to focus on this part. Because the other part is complicated. So this is molecules. It's part of the created world. We can understand the floor being part of the created world. That's easy to understand, right? And then he, he just throws water into the mix. <laughs> to let us know to let us know that if he could create such diversity of matter into the creation, mm. then what are we looking at when we look at the spiritual realm, the kingdom of heaven, if it is void of that which we know as creation? Think about it for a moment. The kingdom of heaven is void of every aspect of the created world. So just to let us know how big and how powerful and dynamic he is. He works all these aspects into our created world. So water, if water was just water, that would be great. We could understand it. But now water becomes vapor and then it becomes clouds. And then it becomes rain and then it becomes ice and snow and we can build bombs with it. Okay? There's no part on earth, no place on earth that is void of water, even the driest desert. I'm trying to expand the way we look at things. Okay, this is the world that he gave us to live in. So that we can start, start to understand that we're dealing with a big God. And then we understand that all of this is a little grain of sand compared to his kingdom. And now we've got to deal with that reality. This is a good exercise, a beginning starting point if we're going to start looking at godliness. Godliness, because inside of you, we know there's the brain and the consciousness, but what is the part inside of you that is the origin, the life force, the place where motivation is birthed? Can it be in your brain? Is it just because of outside triggers and influences that we are motivated and inspired. Think about it. What is that thing inside of you? Now that's the real you, right? And then when he takes the body and the brain away from you, we call that death, liberation, and then we become part of that kingdom. We call that eternal life. Now that you, 
that you. That is what we are in the process of discovering on earth while we're still in the tent. Now, I said in the beginning, I can sometimes understand how humanity just elected not to know. So, before we move on to the academic part of godliness, what happens when you find yourself entered into eternal life and all your concerns have ended? I'm not saying all the good things have ended. All your concerns are gone. Now, for a moment, feel, feel that inside of you. Access that. What, if, what, what happens when all your concerns are gone? Now you can maybe start to sense how big an area of our being is occupied by concern. Because my brain goes like, I can't find myself. Is it happening to you? You can almost not find yourself separate from concern. So concern is not just worry, it's that which is valued, worked at, um, lived towards your dreams, your motivations, your... What if that's gone? Because it doesn't matter anymore. Some part of me goes like, give me my body back. Didn't it happen to you? I need some form. I need a frame. And yet, he's saying, we're going to move towards godliness. It's part of our discipleship process. Luckily, there's an academic part to godliness. You want to show us what that is? Okay. This is, this is actually very interesting. So, the concept of godliness, the word godliness, actually doesn't belong to the Christian faith. Ha, 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 ha. It actually comes from the Greek word, eusebeia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing hmm. that correctly, but, okay, eusebeia. Which means... Reverence, piety, or godliness, and this is connected to the Hebrew word chasid. Chasid, chasid, I don't know. Okay, something in those lines. Why doesn't chasid, chasid. sound like godliness? <laughs> <laughs> but it is. Chasid. <laughs> anyway, okay. Now, in the Old Testament, the word godliness isn't really used that much. I don't know if you've noticed. It's uh, more prominent in the New Testament. And interestingly enough, when the apostles used the word godliness, they didn't invent a new concept or a new word for this faith that they were instructing in and preaching. They actually used a concept, a word, that was already in existence and just applied it to our faith. So godliness, as we said, comes from the word eusebeia in Greek, which means reverence, piety, and godliness. And this was a generic term used for all 
religions. It's a religious term, not a Christian term, uh, which meant that any person that believed in any existence of any god was going to live in a certain way according to the god that they were serving. So whichever god they would serve, a person would reorganize their life to live in accordance with this god, with, with its, his or her, its um, preferences, with its ways, with its demands, with all of that. So, uh, godliness, if we take um, in certain Hindu religions or certain aspects of the Hindu religion, there are um, sects that would cut themselves or pierce themselves or tattoo themselves. And for this, this for us, this would not be this would be ungodliness. But for them, it's godliness because it's an appropriate response to the God they serve. Okay, even Satan worshippers would have a sense of godliness because there's a response from the person to the God in accordance to the God that is being served. Does that make sense? So godliness does not belong to our faith, it does not belong to our specific religion as, a, as an appropriate response from a person to the living God of the Bible. Godliness is actually a generic term for any person who serves a God to respond a certain sense of reverence towards this God. Now, it, you don't have to actively worship the God. No. For godliness to be some part of your culture it is you're just going to fit in within the society that you live in and not act in a way that is contrary to the belief system of the society and that even can constitute godliness so you don't have to actively serve the god you're just not going to you're going to respect and observe hmm. revere do certain things and rituals with, so there's a respect towards whatever gods there might be. Mm. So the word was reappropriated, used, interesting that, that they decided to do that, for the purposes of, of instructing uh, believers in the way. It's much like the word pot in all languages reference something that's ancient. There has been pots around forever. Right? A pot. A pot. But South Africans took the word and we all know. You can go anywhere in South Africa. If you say poichi, everybody knows what you're talking about. <laughs> Same word. You can say poiki, everybody knows. It's not just any pot. In certain circles, pots mean something completely different. <laughs> you see, a pot could be what you kept under the bed as well, but not a poiki. Poiki is a poiki. Okay. So it's connected to the society you live in, the culture you live in, and you act in a certain way towards a poiki. Now everybody knows a poiki needs a slow fire. I once had the experience where my mother asked her husband, she wants to bake a bread when we were in Mozambique. She said, I only need two or three coals, not a lot of fire. When we got outside, he had three briquettes. Because <laughs> she said she only needs two or three 
knuckles. Now, she didn't mean three. She probably needed about ten, but he had three. There was no way that bread was ever going to get baked, okay? Now, if you, go, if you invited this someone's house for a poiki, and they are lighting a whole bag of charcoal, you're not going to say anything. But you're going to know this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Right? You just, you know. In your mind, you're making a note. Just eat a little bit, go home, and make your own poiki. That's it. Okay, we can continue. Godliness, reappropriated word. Okay. Okay, now the reason they, the apostles, could use this word or reuse this word or incorporate it into this faith is because um, it's actually quite, quite modern in the human race uh, to not necessarily believe in a God at all. In the times when the apostles wrote this and even predating that, most people had some form of a God. They were very aware of the fact that we were not alone and, uh, and so there was gods that they could pick from to worship. And uh, so the idea of godliness, of readjusting your life in certain aspects and ways to revere, show reverence to this whichever God, um, was a very common understanding. So there was a sense of conformity that was not questioned at all. If you were going to serve this God, then you would conform the necessary aspects of your life to be able to serve this God. If you're going to serve that God, then you would conform certain aspects of your life to worship or revere that God. So the idea of conforming, the idea of godliness, wasn't a, was, wasn't a strange idea. And so the reason they incorporated it here was for the, for the purpose of if you're going to serve this God then there's a certain way of life that you're going to have to conform to. Now, obviously, we understand there's the spiritual side, and this comes in where godliness, when it was applied, was usually the person was over here, and the God they were serving were, was over there, and so they were serving their God from here to there. But now with this faith, there's an extra element that no other religion has. So let's explore, let's look at that. So most religions understand that their God, even if they make an idol, their God is something spiritual. So even though, so our God we know is spirit, but that's not unique to our faith, not unique to our God. Allah, the idea of Allah is also an idea of spirit. So what makes our faith, our religion, if you will, unique to all other religions, that, that changes godliness, makes it something completely different to the generic term. It's the fact that even though God is spirit, I'm not serving him from here to there because he has poured out his spirit in me and I have been baptized into him, into the spirit. See, so this changes the concept of godliness completely, even if you apply the generic term, because the God we serve is no longer over there and I'm over here. We are one, here and there. 
And so now godliness becomes something completely different, even in its generic understanding, because the, the relationship is different. Make sense? And so the aspect that connects reverence and walking in the Spirit is one man, but also more so in the sense of the Messiah truth. So remember Peter's revelation in Matthew chapter 16. The Lord says, who do you say I am? And then he says, you are Messiah. And we did that whole teaching um, where Peter looks in front of him and he does not just see a man and he does not just see God, but he sees God in man reconciled as man was created to be, what it was, what he was supposed to be. And that's where we meet the two in the middle. It's not just the spirit and it's not just us serving God, but it's the two intertwined, becoming one. And so this is the bridge between the two. Interesting. When you start exploring, the moment that you get face, come face to face with really looking at what godliness is, becomes very deep, very interesting, very vast. So if I ask you, this crowd that's sitting here, if we are to be completely conformed to everything that's written in this book, as far as godliness, righteousness is concerned, test yourself quickly. Is that something that you are committed to, have accepted? Everything that's written, every instruction, every guidance, every word of God as far as towards His children, that has to become true in your life. You have to be conformed to it. You have to accept everything and do it. It has to be take form in you. But I ask you that. Test your heart. Is the answer yes? I can bet you we can go in all directions to Christian congregations. Ask them the same question. They're going to have a ready answer. Everything in this book is not to be taken literally. And it's, it makes a lot of sense to them. That's the difference between somebody that is walking toward godliness and somebody that's going to implement this part of godliness. A lifestyle and attitude of reverence towards God. But the Bible keeps uh, pointing us in this direction. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Now, let's quickly have a look at what that means. We have to be on the same page. Walking in the Spirit, we have a standard, a mindset, a hope, that we can grow into a place where we walk in the Spirit. How often? It's a hope that we have at the moment. Because the Bible says so. Test your heart again. This is what we really desire, what we have committed to. Because it means you no longer go back to the flesh, the self, the carnal you. Remember that inside you? Everything else is conformed to that. 
and it's the recreated inside you. So that's the spiritual part of godliness. But, before we can get to the spiritual part of godliness, we have to implement a few practical steps. Practical steps. Now, godliness, according to the Hebrew word tzaddik, is equal to righteousness. Now, we have explained what righteousness is. It is the Lord imputes His righteousness to us, so He gives us the straight road. He becomes the way, He gives us the straight road, and we know we have no straightness in us, no righteousness in us, and no straightness of our own. Yet he gives us that which he has completed as the possibility for our lives. Mm. Now, in the Hebrew mindset, godliness means those who delight in the Torah. Now, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Although we've been set free from the law because the law had been fulfilled in Messiah the meaning of godliness doesn't change. It doesn't say those who obey the Torah. It says those who delight in the Torah. Mm. So how do we delight in the Torah? It says in the beginning, God created man in his likeness and his image. Voila, godliness. <laughs> So as complicated as godliness can be, it's right there in the beginning as the reality that we were created in. Why, why, now this is, let's be honest with each other. Why is there some part of us that wants to say no to that? I have a need to hang on to a lack of understanding. I have a deep need I have a deep need to cling to foolishness. It's true. Anybody want to deny that fact? I have a deep need to reserve a place in me where I keep resentment as a precious treasure. And I have a deep Deep, deep commitment to protect that place where I keep my disappointment. It's mine. To my pressure. <laughs> my disappointment. There's another place that's bigger than the space in which I keep my disappointment. <laughs> No one's allowed there. You're not bringing that light anywhere near that little. I'm, I'm committed to godliness, but this little place, that other place. It's right in the back where God can't see it. It's the place where I'm going to keep my negativity and my depression. It's mine. It's unique to me. I have something other people don't have. Keeping it. I go there. It's my secret place. 
Na gesit today. The chair is a special chair. It has nails sticking out through the seat. I love that chair. I go sit on it and I enjoy the pain. And instead of music, I have big speakers and it blasts screeching noises through my psyche all the time. Then next to the chair, there's a little table. It's got a, an album on it. A photo album. What more do you need? Photo album. And then I keep photos of every time I failed. And I have family pictures in it. Every time they failed me. In full color. HD. Full HD pictures. 3D pictures. Every friend. Every time I walked into the room and they were talking, and they stopped talking when I went to the room, I got a picture of that. They were talking about me. And I know exactly what they were saying about me. It's all those things that I know. It's not true about me, but I know that's what they're thinking. How do I know? Because I'm the one that came up with the ideas. I never heard them saying it, but I know. I know that's what they're thinking. Mm. They're thinking my ears are too big. They think I talk too much. And they think I don't talk enough. I think I, I'm the guy that knows it all. They just don't know I do. So the photo album. So I go sit on my chair in the dark room. I press the button and the speakers come on. And then... I wiggle myself, get comfortable on the nails, and I take my photo album. I feel like I should sit down. <laughs> but I am committed to godliness as well. It's just that room. It's my room. It's my comfort place. Okay, so how often do we visit that room? <laughs> I think we all need a few minutes to reassess our lives. <laughs> but I've got an answer to not, look, I've decided not to visit the room so often, so I'm just going to focus on other people, outward focus. What they did, what they're doing. <laughs> See, that's the answer. I'm not going to focus on myself anymore. I'm just going to, okay. So, okay. <laughs> okay. So, okay, this is probably a little bit worse than what it is in reality. I hope so. I saw a couple walking into a shop with their lotto ticket. It's got nothing to do with anything. Well, I don't know. What do you want to say? Well, or we can just replace the, 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 other, the other side of that room when you're not in the room. We focus on the hopes. 
and the wants and the needs and the stuff that would make me better because if I have some other things that I'm hoping for then I'll feel better about all the stuff that's in the room. I'm not going to get rid of the album. I can just maybe have another album with the big car and the successes and the stuff. You know what, even if we had an album like that, you know how few of us would page through the positive album more than the negative album? Uh, why do we do that? It's not true. Who of you spend most of your time reciting all the wonderful things that has happened in all your life. Now, it helps when you have small kids, because then you can focus on how cute they are. People do that for a time in their lives, it really soothes. But when, when you fall in love, there's a little time where you can just focus on that stuff. Or when you start a new vegetable garden. <laughs> well, and then the vegetable garden's old. You buy a new car, for a while you don't go to that album. Because you've got a new car. Until the car gets old. And then the photo of that new car goes into that album. Don't like this car anymore. I need a new one. Okay, so I think we've elaborated. So now, just for us to start exploring the godliness aspect. Now godliness. It's not try and be godly once a week, once a month, or around Christmas time. It's a reality. People become more godly over Passover. Easter weekend, some of them. Others become more ungodly. And some people do both at the same time. Okay? Godliness. Now let's see what the scripture says about godliness. Can we do that? Okay, I just wanted to open our, give us access to the reality. So even the ones of us that's been walking a far road, the problem, okay, I want to highlight this. The problem with our walk is that the more we allow the Holy Spirit to start working in the deep places of our lives, the bigger the area and the scope of understanding becomes. So before we get better, we get worse. It didn't happen to anybody that recently got saved in the last 20 years. So it just gets better, and then he starts working at all the ungodly parts, and it feels like everything gets worse. People come to me and say, I don't think I'm saved. But, but you've been, been saved for 10 years. No, I don't think I'm saved anymore. And then people get saved again and again. Because he starts opening up all the little the rooms with all the albums and all the stuff in it. Okay, but that's the process towards that. So it's a good process, right? You don't have an album yet, right? No. Just a good one. Never bolt the room. That's the problem. Okay. Let's see. Can we see what the word says about godliness? Because it's a vast concept for a very small word. Right. So much of the time. Go for it. Um, okay. Yeah, we're going to see. Can read the whole thing. Yeah, all of those. Okay, let's go to 1 Timothy. Okay, let's start in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. We start noticing some aspects 
that goes together with godliness. And we start realizing certain things are connected with godliness. You can't separate them. And it's wisdom to pick up these things and then incorporate it in our process. Paul, an apostle of Yahushua HaMashiach, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Yahushua HaMashiach, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God our Father and of Yahushua HaMashiach, our Lord. I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heat to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and from sincere faith from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. And then he goes on to talk about them uh, wanting to teach the law. And then, yeah? Sorry, you notice the godly edification which is in faith in verse 4. So he carries on to speak about those that are going to turn around to idle talk. Now here we see that he's going to connect Without really emphasizing it, he's going to try, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Contrast. He's going to contrast something so that godliness is highlighted. And it boils down to doctrine. Now, this is this part. This is this part of godliness. He's going to highlight the importance of doctrine when it comes to godliness. So there's godly edification, godly building of the body, and it comes through speaking, instruction, words, what is spoken. Because you see, within the context of community, and especially in our case, community of believers, what is agreed upon is what is going to be real. That's going to be true. So take note of that. Here we see doctrine in connection with godliness. Can you read the rest? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Uh, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So what we kind of also want to show here is that godliness in this context, especially in the letter to Timothy, is not a super spiritual thing that he's writing about. He's writing about something quite tangible and real. Um, for instance, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. There's no huge revelation that we're going to unpack out of this. It's just, what is, what is the context of the word? Because we want to be careful not to make everything very spiritual. Mm. Some things are just very practical. Mm. Next one. 
Okay. Um, okay. But now we see here in chapter 3, I'm going to read from verse 14. These things I write to you that I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now just pause there for a moment because we're going to go to the mystery of godliness now. But keep in mind that up until now and even after this in the letter, Paul is writing very simple instructions to Timothy about how to conduct. He wrote about the bishops, about the elders, about uh, the way women should dress to church, all of those kind of practical things. So not spiritual things. And then he says he's writing all of this so that Timothy may know how he ought to conduct himself in the house of God. Okay. Now he continues in verse 16. He says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And this is where we get to the spiritual side of it. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. So there's your def defining scripture for godliness. That's the one. In, okay. in this faith. Context. Yet, that is not the beginning and the end of the understanding of godliness. It is the spiritual def definition of it. But leading up to this, uh, I think it's significant that he is writing about very practical mm. godliness. The way we conduct ourselves in the house, the way we conduct ourselves in the community, the way that we pray for stability in our community and so forth. Now, what does this work boil down to? Remember when we send all the messages regarding how we should conduct ourselves around the yearly occurrence of birthdays. It seems like it's got nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with our faith. And yet, we're in a process right now where we're practically looking at order within our lifestyle, how we conduct ourselves, that will increase godliness and edification. And we literally looked at every aspect of what would be beneficial and healthy within a fellowship context when it's someone's birthday. Why? We said in the messages, so that we can avoid offense. So who of you immediately realized that the messages was all about godliness? Did you realize that? Godliness. And if you go back and you think about everything that we have been teaching, the way we've been teaching, even when we dealt with the deepest mysteries of the Word of God and of the Kingdom, it was always centered around learning how we should speak. This is governed by what we think, how our thought processes work. Then we, last year we did all the principles. And this was all focused on self-control perseverance according to those things. So, if we stop the chaos in our minds and our emotions, 
we bring every thought captive to the Word of God, but more than that, the character and the person of God, then it becomes a very practical step-by-step process to godliness. Now we've put so many um, agreements in place for fellowship. And I think we've all rebelled against some of those in some way. Because we don't like it when people give us rules. But we don't see it as rules, we see it as agreements. A ruling. Doesn't make any sense. Why do we do that? Because if we have agreements in place, then we keep each other safe. But where agreements are not in place, we create too much space for unsafe talk, unsafe action. That makes sense. And all of us had to deal with the fact that I want to reserve the right to say what I want to say, express what I want to express. So now we started putting principles in place where we said when two people in the fellowship come together, they're in the same place, we want to avoid talking about self and we want to avoid talking about problems, things we're dealing with with each other, unless it is a once-off confession that goes hand in hand with repentance. So we're not saying don't do it at all. We're saying that when we have decided to talk to another person about something that's been bothering us, something that's been difficult for us, we're doing it as confession with repentance. What is repentance? I am moving away from my fleshly, selfish, self-consumed response and situation back to a godly, biblical, kingdom-cultured Resolution. Resolve. Now, why did we put that in place? Because the normal thing, when a group of people are together, this can happen. We speak about the thing that's bothering us, but nothing happens, and then we do it again next time. Then it becomes part of our habit, part of our culture. So people come together and they process with each other. Now, there's nothing wrong with processing. Problem is, if I process with you, and I do it again and again, you do it again and again with me, you're going to trigger, activate the carnal part of my being. While the Bible says, live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. Now, if we're walking in the Spirit, you walking in the Spirit and I'm walking in the Spirit. You're living in the Spirit and I'm walking in the Spirit. We come together to have coffee. Then we're going to increase, encourage, multiply that which is godly, and spiritual and true in each other's lives. So we had to actually put principles in place, a ruling, an agreement in place, that we're not going to allow each other to process with us over and over, because it's not healthy. What does it do? When we process with each other, will it, and we continually do that, will it encourage the carnal or the spiritual part of you. Mostly the carnal. So what, ha- what might happen? We 
have someone in the family that's having a lot of problems, a lot of issues, and they come to me for advice. They trigger in me the self-righteous, loving, good-natured carnal heart. See, I have the opportunity to love them, give them advice, be the saviour, and then I do it over and over. It makes me feel a little bit more godly, but is it godly? See, repentance would be godly. So we do listen to each other, but there has to be repentance together with the confession. Otherwise, we shouldn't confess, because if we confess and we don't repent, then what are we doing? See how those little principles actually has a function. The function of it is to create an environment. Remember that the, the idea behind godliness was to respond in reverence towards the presence, the reality of God within the culture that you're living. And so that's what we have been creating. Okay. We're almost done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that clock is stuck. It's quite oh. early. Okay. <laughs> it's not half past two. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, should I read all of that? Yeah. Okay, let's read chapter four from verse one. Obviously, not every verse has the word godliness in it, but we need context to see the way that he is writing it so we can understand what he's trying to communicate. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be, to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Yahushua HaMashiach, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness." For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Is, is that shedding a new light on that scripture? So, in context, we see it's connected to certain things. It's connected to a small-minded, self-carnal way of trying to live in godliness. So, in this case, trying to figure out if we should eat pork or not. Okay, and then he says that when we do, do we do stick to this, bodily exercise is good. But how much structure that we need to put in place according to the word over time for us to start to practice towards godliness. Exercise. Towards Exercise godliness. towards godliness. 
So the same as you would exercise as an athlete, mm. you can actually do things in a practical, physical manner and way in bringing order to start exercising godliness. This is good news. Because if I would just have to wait until I became more godly. Or if the only thing the Bible ever said was walk in the spirit, then we'd be pretty stuck because how exactly do I do that without doing anything? Now we have a list of scriptures that speak about walking. Walk as he did. Why the word walking? Why does walking feature so much in context to spiritual discipline, spiritual growth? Because it's step by step. Step by step. Okay, now what happens if I want to go there and I'm going to take two steps and then two steps back? And two steps there and two steps back. <laughs> and two steps there, it feels like the foxtrot. <laughs> Why is this important to understand? If walking the righteous road to, into godliness, into becoming godly, if that is taking steps, then every time we do the opposite, we're taking one step back. That's when you phone me and you say, I'm stuck. And I say, fill in the form. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, we're over the offense of having to fill in the form, right? No offense anymore, right? Okay. <laughs> So, so you, do you now see the reasoning behind putting the form in place? Because you are going to have the opportunity, while you're going like, I'm stuck, help me. We're going to say, first of all, in the form. So you're going to look at what didn't I do? You're going like, I can identify the steps, but I'm not going to acknowledge the fact that that was the steps. I'm still just going to go ask Monet to tell me what to do. Okay, so by the time you come to see us, we are probably just going to confirm what you already know. Because you have been reborn, filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been studying the Word. You know these things. What things? You know. And so it's only... We want to move the entire body to a place where we function like a body. He's the head, not the church leadership or the duomeni or whoever, not the counselor, not the prophet. He's the head. And we walk together. We make the whole body move properly together. That's the healthy place to get to. That's where we're going with this. Okay, so, do you see how doctrine, instruction... And avoiding, avoiding profane and idle talking. Now, Among okay. other things. <laughs> One of the steps we've taken is avoid people that are prone to idle and profane talking. Problem is that I take that person home with me most of the times. <laughs> okay? 
When it comes to profane and idle talking, foolish talking, it's not the other guy that's my problem. I'm confessing and with the intention to repent. Good, good. We'll make a note of that. <laughs> On the record. Um, it's been noted several times already, but anyway, you can note it again. So one very simple step in the direction of godliness. Godliness is not such an unattainable thing anymore. Okay, you, you can either choose the route of lighting a candle every day, or you can just make sure that you stick to lighting the candle every day on the inside. You go into the secret place in the beginning of your day. Here, the Lord will speak in mysterious ways to you. And then as you go through the day, you'll find out that the things you were talking about that didn't make any sense this morning, actually is going to feature in your day. He gave you all the clues. And if we live in wisdom, we go like, oh, this person is speaking about the thing that he warned me about this morning. How should I respond? What were we talking about? Walk away. Sorry, dude, I'm going. <laughs> right? So that's how we start. Little steps every day. But now we repeat the little steps every day. Mm. Yes? Maybe just to explain it in, in, in context to the, to the process. Um, so if we just take note of where godliness is placed. Because, okay, number one, if I'm going to decide to, if say a person comes to faith and then decides, okay, because this seems like a natural response. I'm saved now, so I should be godly. God-fearing, God-revering, God-respecting, so now I need to act in godliness. But the problem is now we skip from here all the way to there. But the thing is with godliness, and even though we have now done a bit of a more academic study and we see that it is strongly connected to doctrine and everyday walking out, the truth is still that the God and godly, our God, is still everything, the Creator God. And so even though there is a practical part to this, this part of it, this part, it's because it's duly parted, there's still a great mystery connected to godliness. So if I do only one or the other, then it's not godliness, it's just a part of godliness. But now godliness, as it's here, contains surely a very big mystery and if we look at all three aspects of the year godliness brotherly kindness and love even though we do understand that in the spirit it has a substance it's not actually tangible to us because even godliness with its doctrine if you want to look at godliness what exactly are you going to look at because you're going to behold god because it's our god in godliness if you look at brotherly kindness, we have an idea, but true brotherly kindness in its great eternal form, it's not really something you can just grab onto. It's something you can enter into, but not grab onto. Same with love. Love is probably the biggest mystery of all time. And if we look at this side, we have faith, virtue, knowledge, and even though they are mysteries in their own right and capacity, it's something more tangible. Faith is something we behold, something we can see. Virtue is a substance that we grow that's growing in us knowledge knowledge about god and the knowledge of god is something which we grow into it's tangible we have access into it we can understand it we can look at it but these three 
remain eternal great mysteries. And so the problem is if I jump from faith to godliness, then automatically I'm going to have to be stuck in here, in just the reverence part, and it becomes works. And so what I'm going to end up doing is I'm going to take something that is eternally mysterious, that has an eternal substance, and try to force it into the material so that it only has substance here. Then from there I'm going to try and, you know, because if I'm going to respect God, if I'm going to be God-revering, then He commands brotherly kindness, and I need to build relationships and be kind to everyone, and this is going to then come manifest as works and love is also not going to be love in its eternal form it's going to be love manifested on this side and so it loses its eternal power and so what we need to remember is that if as we go through this process and we grow godliness comes after self-control and perseverance after self-control and perseverance and the reason is because you need to keep in mind that we said this is an input. God gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And this over here is an outcome. So even though the equation says add to your perseverance godliness and add to godliness brotherly kindness to brotherly kindness love, these three aren't actually dependent on what I do with it. It exists eternally. And so I'm, I'm going to add it, I'm going to enter into it, I'm going to go through the process, but more than I can kind of conjure up godliness, it's already an outcome that God has already given and determined. So as I go through this side, growing in the inputs, going through my response and self-control and perseverance, godliness becomes an outcome that I enter into. So I do add it, but it's an outcome, it's already there, it's already supplied on the road. I don't have to find it, if that makes sense. But because also the self-control and perseverance, it's so important because this now comes into the reverence part, the works part. It's one thing if I'm godly every now and then, even if I'm godly most of the day. But if we're going to take into account that godliness, especially in terms of our faith, is godliness, Yahweh-liness, then it, it, it changes the way that we walk it out. Because he insists on this process and he insists on being formed in us and us being conformed to him. He insists on it being, even if we don't get it right in the beginning, because we, we, we grow and we hope towards a, a, a truth, a state of existence, um, but even in that process, it's not just a spontaneous every now and then we remember to be godly. Oh, yes, now I need to remember to implement. Now I need to remember to persevere. Now I need to remember to implement self-control. There's a constant that has to form before we enter fully into godliness in this specific walk, do we see? And so this then starts to connect these three, because if godliness, brotherly kindness, and love is, is kind of the outcome, then we can almost see that that's this part of godliness. But we need to walk out the reverence, the works that we add to our faith. But we, the more we do this, the more constantly we do this in self-control and perseverance, the more these two meet each other in the middle. Do we see? And so now walking in the spirit is not some spiritual thing that I'm trying to do. 
I'm being conformed and he's being formed in me, the more constantly I do this. So this becomes true, which means this can now start become, become a reality. Does that make sense? Okay, to end off with, we're going to shed some light on it. Can you read for us the one man scripture in Ephesians? Yes. Listen to this now. So we have a very practical thing. We had to send a whole lot of messages to help everybody understand what is the best way for us to deal with our birthdays in context to the whole fellowship. It's going to make everybody safe, not offend anybody, and keep the person whose birthday it is happy. So we said, you first decide what you want to do with your birthday. Because otherwise we have all this pressure that I've got to take all these people into consideration and the person whose birthday it is ends up not having fun or being satisfied. Then after that, the way you conduct it is if you're going to invite more than a certain percentage of the fellowship, then invite everybody. If you're going to mix it, you have some friends from outside, some family members, then, and you invite some people from the fellowship, then it's fine. It's got nothing to do with us. But if it's mostly fellowship people, then it's fellowship. Then we consider everyone. We don't want clicks. We don't love anybody more than the other. I might have more in common with someone, but I can't prefer someone because it's the body of Messiah. Right? So that's why we gave those. So you see how that pertains to godliness. Little steps. And now there's the spiritual side of it. This is this middle side. Just read that scripture quickly before we finish. Uh, no, the one on there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ephesians 1, verse 9. From verse 9, 9 and 10. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Messiah, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So that's the ultimate spiritual side of godliness. We understand that we just didn't just call us to Him. That call isn't to come to Him. The call is, He's going to make us one with Him. Now that's beyond my understanding, because I know what I'm like. I don't even want to be one with me. Right? I'm likable, but only when I'm with people. Or in the Some people. Other times I'm not very cool. I'm confused at times, conflicted, moody, selfish. And yet he wants to make me one with him. And he's holy and good and righteous and love and truth. And so this is the ultimate wonder of godliness. Not just saying add something to your spiritual walk so you can be better. He's saying, who does he call? We said make your call an election, sure. He calls his children to him. He calls us into an everlasting relationship. Now, even some of the friends, the people I know that I like the most, I still don't want to spend all my time with them. 
even if you're one of those people that I really like and you think I really like you, I'm sorry if I disappoint you. I still don't want to spend all my time with you. And I don't want to share everything with you. And I certainly don't want to do that forever. This is, the, this is what God calls us to. He calls you to that. Who doesn't he call? He doesn't call those who said no. He calls them, but they said no. So he's not really calling them to that. And everybody doesn't desire it. But if you're desiring that, why the heck would we say no to that? So that's godliness. Godliness starts the moment He calls you, and then it doesn't stop, because we're going to... He wants us to know everything about Him. Do you want the people in the room, if you had the opportunity, would you want them to know everything about you? Not that one. Give me ten more years, Lord. I'll be ready then. Yet he's so confident in his goodness, his holiness, every thought that he's ever had, that he's willing to make you part of that. Now, not then. Access into divine nature, become part of the divine nature, and full access to the kingdom. And this is what this is about. He's going to, he, he makes us part of him and then he's going to conform all things in him to himself and make it part of himself. All that is left over, that's good. Now, Galatians 2.20. I'll read it. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'll, we'll leave you with this one thought. The godliness has the step-by-step process, repeat, return, repeat, redo. We keep repeating, not doing the things that we have come to believe should be doing, done. And we then replace all of the time we spend, the time we spend condemning ourselves, judging others, or renewing old offenses, all the time we used to spend on that we now spend in redoing the aspects of faithfulness, vision, thankfulness, hope, joy, love being keeping the commandments of God. We repeat that in such a tight sequence that we don't leave space for the other things anymore. And that's the process that we have in place and it will get better as we practice it. But now Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but He lives in me because I died with Him. This is one of the first things He ever taught me. I would walk, literally walk for an hour, hour and a half after working in the, in the street because I 
prayed in the street. I would walk. And I would literally have no, not much to pray because I didn't know much. But I would pray this one thing, Lord, teach me how to get out of the way. Because if you're living in me, teach me how to get out of the way because I'm in the way. Uh, I'll catch myself and my intention was to be focused on him, listen to him, see the way that he sees, walk in the spirit. But then I'd catch myself and there I was again, busy. Man, do we get busy in there. There's a little me. Mini, mini. I'm tired on the outside, right? Tired because life was so hard. But on the inside, I'm not tired. I'm running around. <laughs> Revisiting a million little things. Okay, am I the only one? So we could be chopping the onions for dinner and worshipping him, but no. No, no. I'm stressing about tomorrow's work day. I'm not planning. I'm not preparing. I'm just running in circles. Chopping onions. So how complicated is this godliness thing? Yeah, we, stop. Stop that little guy in there. Force him to his knees. Make him stop. We'll look at godliness again. This is just for us. We're going to start practicing it. Practicing it. Exercise ourselves towards godliness. Mm -hmm. Is that good enough?